And so tonight I want to answer that question on what pleases God. Um, I noticed in Luke 3.22, this is uh, when Jesus went to be baptized by John. He was kind of introduced to the world at this point. And I want to just hear, I want you to hear something. And I'd never seen it in this light before. And it says, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Now, whose voice do you think that was? The Father's. Saying, You are my son, my beloved. Listen to this. In you I am well pleased and find delight. Now I want to ask you a question. How many works had Jesus done up to that point that the Father could say, I'm very pleased with you? He had not done one work yet. He had not worked for God. He had not opened any blinded eyes, raised any dead people, done anything. Not one good thing had he done up until this point. I mean, I'm, he was a good son, the Bible tells us. He obeyed his parents. Uh, but we don't know anything else uh, that he had done. And yet, God said, I'm pleased with you. So that tells me something kind of interesting. God is pretty easy to please. And I think maybe the T- TPT version of uh, Matthew 11 has that phrase in there, God is easy to please. But I don't, I, we don't need to put that up. So, so it's just kind of like, um, you know, we have a new baby here. She had to go out. Uh, Rennie, is that her name? Renly, Roan, is that her name? Okay. Anyway, precious, precious baby. And I, I watched her mother. She's, she's not in here now. But I watched her mother on Sunday, and she was holding that baby, and she was loving on that baby, and that baby had not done one good thing for her, and she still loved that baby. And you and I have experienced that ourselves when we had children. They don't have to do something for us to be pleased with them. They just be something, and then we're pleased. What do they be? They be ours. They belong to us. We are so pleased with them. Now, there's times that we have to correct them, yes. But that doesn't mean that we are not pleased with them. And so that stood out to me when I realized that to please the Father is not hard to do. Um, I'm just going to... Um, I'm just looking at the time. I'm wondering how much time I have. I read this last week, but I know every one of you have forgotten it because I hadn't remembered it. So I'm going to reread it. And this is out of the, out of the book, uh, Revelations from Heaven. The man that went to heaven for, died, went to heaven for 30 minutes and came back and talked uh, with Jesus quite a bit. He actually just walked through heaven with him and Jesus told him a lot of things. And I wrote down a lot of things that Jesus told him because it all lines up with the word. And I like to see from that viewpoint. If people don't believe in, in believing what people say when they went to heaven and come back, sorry uh, for you. 
uh, because I think you're missing out on some things. You don't base doctrine on it if it's not already in the Word, but uh, you base doctrine on the Word, but it kind of amplifies and you get it from the, God's pr perspective. And so um, this is what Jesus said to him. Uh, quit thinking of success in terms of achievement. Success is who you are in Christ, not what you are in this world. When the heart is centered on Christ, the will to do God's bidding just spills out of us, regardless of our position or our circumstances. The doing part spills out of the being part, so that anything we do must be done with Christ in mind. So I, I like that. It spills out of us. That's the unforced rhythms of grace. When you are just being what Jesus said you are, and you have that intimate relationship with God, then out of, out of that relationship spills the good works that the Bible talks about that we're supposed to do. It's unforced. Just spills out of us. We want to do good. Um, find, uh, finding purpose is the equivalent of seeking after God in all things. It means a full-time relationship with God, not a part-time one. It means, it means being more than doing. The important key is to put God first, which means we need to transform the have-tos of life to the want-tos of life. We know that we have to obey God in order to live a purposeful life, but when having to do good becomes irrelevant because we want to do good, the Spirit of Jesus Christ has taken control. And I, you know, that, that's, that's kind of eye-opening because we tend to think God is pleased when we do things. And he is pleased, but he is pleased with us because of who we are, not just what we do. do. So I had asked the Lord this week, just, just uh, kind of threw it out there and said, Lord, what's the difference between a heavy burden and a light burden? And basically what I heard was heavy is when you push yourself beyond the rhythm of grace. Light is when you flow into the rhythm of grace. So I want to just kind of uh, unpack that a little bit and look at it a little bit more deeply uh, we kind of touched on this last, last week, but I want to look at Luke, the 10th chapter again. Just briefly, I want to bring up um, Mary and Martha. And I want to read it out of the Amplified, um, verse 39, Luke 10, 39. And she, uh, in verse 38, it just says, Martha received and welcomed Jesus into her, her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. So then Martha, now we have a description of Martha. And we can see by this description that Martha is under a heavy burden. Because of what it says about her, it says she's overoccupied, she's too busy. And she's distracted about much serving. And so as a result of the heavy burden that she's carrying, the very next words out of her mouth 
stem from self-pity. So she comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, and she begins to accuse the Lord. Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? I mean, can't you just hear the patheticness in that voice, the whine of that voice? And she's talking to Jesus. And, um, you know, that took a lot of nerve, actually. Although I've talked to him kind of from time to time. I'm saying, where are you, Lord? I mean, you know, stuff like that. But um, tell her to help me to lend a hand and do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha. So this is what the outcome of a heavy burden is. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. Many things are bombarding you. And I don't have a list, I'm, and I can't look at her list of to-dos, but I know I've had, had company, and I've had famous company at my house. I sh shared that with you last week. And I had a long to-do list. I mean, I... I worked, and I worked. I worked hard. I, I wanted, this is what I wanted. I wanted my guests to be pleased with what I had done for them. I was working to please them. I wanted to t them to tell me, this is the best brisket I have ever eaten in my whole life. And this, I mean, this table setting, it looks like it's set for a king. And, you know, inside I'm just thinking, ah, that's what, that's what I did it for. I did it for the reward. I did it for the compliments. Yes. That reveals something about what the problem is sometimes when we're doing things that we think we're gonna, that's going to please God. We're just, we may get some rewards down here on this earth, but really what we should be after are the rewards that we're going to get in heaven. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, then he said something very interesting. He said, there is a need of but one, a few things, but only one, only one. Many have, Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I just wonder what would have happened if when Jesus came into the house, Martha joined Mary at the feet of Jesus. And she just thought, if they want to eat, we'll eat later. But this is way too important. I'm going to learn from what Jesus has to say. And so she put him top priority. You know what I think would have happened? I mean, we don't know for sure, but we have some hints. One thing we know is that Jesus was not that interested in food. We look at uh, John, the fourth chapter, the 34th verse. This, is, this uh, chapter is when he was at the... At the well, and the woman of the, at the well came, and he ministered to her. You know that whole story? I mean, he revealed himself to her as the Messiah. And he hadn't told anybody else that. 
but he told her. And she ran away excited. She says, I have found the Messiah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And um, the disciples had gone away to the town to get some food. And they came back. Could you put up John uh, 4, 34? And they said, here's some food, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, my food or my nourishment is to do the will or the pleasure of him who sent me and to accomplish and completely finish his work. Food was secondary to him. So we just have a clue that no matter how hard Martha would have worked, that was not what was going to please Jesus. And we also know what he said in the wilderness when, Jesus, when the devil tried to get him to turn stones into bread. He says, I don't live, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus had his food priorities right. And so what would have happened if Martha and Mary would have sat down at the feet of Jesus, both of them? Mary, Martha would have not been anxious overwrought, too busy, she would have had rest like Mary, and they would have learned of Jesus. And I just highly suspect that there would be a time, maybe in the afternoon, that Jesus would have said, well, are you guys hungry? Okay, let's just all go into the kitchen, and let's help Martha and Mary make a meal. And they all would have joined in together, and the meal would have been an unforced rhythm of grace. I believe that that's what happens many times in our lives. We force things instead of waiting on Jesus and letting his grace get involved. Now, I don't know if that's the way it would have worked out, but it would have been better for Martha if she had listened, sat at Jesus' feet. And I can't even imagine, you know, if I mean, I've had some guests that it's like we would sit for an hour or two hours just talking about things of the Lord, and I just thought, I don't want to ever, ever leave. Who cares about the dishes? You know, eventually I had to, but, but just, you know, just eating something from the spirit realm instead of just food, that's very fulfilling. So... Last week, um, I shared uh, with you from John, the 15th chapter, and I just want to look at these verses again. I'm just going over them a little bit because I'm, I'm headed in a little bit different direction here, but um, in uh, John 15, 5 and 7, uh, we ta it talks about, I'm the vine, you're the branches, whoever lives in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Now, see, that's what we want. We want our life to be fruitful. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. Verse 7. If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your heart, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Uh, I, you know, I said earlier that uh, I believe that that's part of our faith problems sometimes, is that we try to operate faith as a principle instead of faith in God, and be vitally, uh, vitally connected to him. Now, I bright, brought my little apple branch. This is the one I cut off 
last Wednesday. You can see that it is pretty worthless. Actually, I rescued it out of the trash. Because <laughs> this little branch is never going to produce an apple. Never. The only thing it could possibly do is if you threw it on the fire, it might help the fire for a couple of seconds. And then it would be gone. So uh, <laughs> it, it's interesting to me that, and I made this statement last week, uh, the, the only job, I had to write it down, the only job the branch has is to stay connected to the vine and fruit will be the result. Obviously, this branch can't produce fruit without the vine or the trunk. Works, which is the fruit, works will spill out organically when you stay connected. Now, who is the vine? The Bible says, my father is the vine or the trunk. So we stay connected. So in an apple tree, it's the roots and the, it's the, roots and the trunk that determines the fruit. So when you are rooted, the Bible talks about rooted and grounded in love. The God, uh, let's look at uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for what? Love is or springs from God. So the, the sap that flows into the vine, I mean the branches, the sap that flows into the branches is love. It springs from God. And he who loves his fellow man is begotten or born of God and is coming progressively to know and understand God, to perceive, recognize, and get a better and clearer knowledge of him. And verse 8, he who does not love has not become acquainted with God, does not, never does know him. For what? God is love. So whenever you're connected with the vine, the fruit spills out organically from you. When God's love flows into you as you stay connected, you're going to automatically, I mean, love is going to be the fruit of what you do. God is love, and there will come a time, I can tell you, that when you stay connected, you won't look like this. When you stay connected, they're going to say, Margaret is love, Debbie is love. They're just full of love. They're full of the love of God. That's the way it works. Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. So the good works that are required out of you just to show the world that you are Christ's disciples, that love is going to flow out of you. So what does please God? So this is where I want to get to, and I'm almost done, and I'm about out of time, and this is, um, this is the most important part. But hey, you had a review. Uh, I want to look at, um, do I want to do that? 
Let's, let's look at... Um, Hmm. Just trying to figure out how much time I have that I could share with you. What I wanted to talk about is laying up your treasures in heaven. There's going to be a day. Every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I, I've heard sermons about the judgment seat of Christ, and maybe you have heard this way, and I kind of jotted down some of the things that... Um, that I had heard about the judgment seat of Christ. I honestly did hear this. You're going to have to face every sin because they are all written down in your book held in reserve. On the day of judgment, God is going to take a big screen and a projector and is going to show all your sins to the world, including your family and your friends. The wrongs you did before you were saved are all forgiven. But everything you do after you're saved is kept in reserve to be held against you. Have any of you heard sermons along that line? Um, I mean, those are scary sermons. It's like, I don't want to be there. You know, the, if that's what the judgment seat of, of uh, God is all about. But I want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, 2 through 5 and just... Read some scriptures about the judgment seat of Christ and see what this is going to be all about. This is Paul, and he says, Moreover, it is essential, required of stewards, that a man should be found faithful, proving himself worthy of trust. But as for me personally, it matters very little to me that I should be put on trial by you on this point of the stewardship. Now, we've all been given stewardship of the ministry of Christ, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it matters very little to me that I should be put on trial by you on this point and that you or any other human tribunal should investigate and question and cross-question me. I do not even put myself on trial and judge myself. I'm not conscious of anything against myself. I feel blameless. But I am not vindicated and acquitted before God on that account. We're not acquitted before God by how we feel about ourselves. It is the Lord himself who examines and judges me. So do not make any hasty, premature judgments before the time when the Lord comes again. For he will both bring to light the secret things that are now hidden in darkness... And disclose and expose the secret aims and motives and purposes of the heart. Then every man will receive due condemnation from God. Is that what that says? What? Commendation, not condemnation. It says commendation and there's a big difference. And Paul's talking about, uh, actually, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Therefore, whether we are at home on earth away from him or away from home and with him, we're constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. Now, that's what we're talking about tonight. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive his pay according to what he has done in the body whether good or evil, considering what his purpose and motives have been 
and what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. So we have kind of a little bit of insight into the judgment seat of Christ. And the first one uh, he talks about in the first scripture we looked at, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 2 through 5, it talks about exposing the secret hidden things that are hidden in darkness. Now that sounds scary. But actually that means those good things that no one knows about that you don't get credit for on this earth. Now, just around Easter time, three days in a row, I got three bouquets of, ro of flowers, roses. I mean, they were gorgeous flowers. And every one of them was uh, in honor of um, Valentine's Day. The second one was in honor of Pastor Charlie's birthday. And the third one was to celebrate Easter. And these three bouquets were anonymous. They had no name. We tried to get the florist to tell us they were sworn to secrecy. To this day, I don't know. I have narrowed it down, and the ones I thought probably sent it didn't. So I don't know if you're listening to me, whoever you are, but whoever you are, I can tell you one thing, that in heaven, in your book, you have written down something that you will be rewarded for at the judgment seat of Christ because you did something good and it blessed me. And it, it touched a part of my heart that um, needed touched right then. So uh, I had picked up um, the book Angels on Assignment. I had remembered that he has a whole chapter on the judgment seat of Christ. And just to, uh, just to refresh you about what this book is, uh, Roland Buck, this is years ago, I mean like in the 70s, he started having visitations from angels that gave him insight into the scriptures as to how God looks on the family, how God looks at atonement. And um, he, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to just read, uh, because we don't know, I mean, we want to know what pleases God. And he reveals that in heaven, every one of these things that he, he, he was going to talk about in this book, every, when you do these things, they're written in your book in heaven. And when you get there, you get a reward for these things. Now, the Bible talks about a cup just giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. and says, if you do that, you will not lose your reward. In other words, a cup of cold water is going to be written down, and you're going to be rewarded for it at the judgment seat of Christ. Good deeds, good things. And let me just read just a few here just to give you an overview. God wants us to be interested in the things he's interested in, and that is people. Um, he said people are doing a lot of things that are good things, necessary things, things of this life, and things that need to be done. They have a real value while in this life, so they are not worthless. They have a, re they have a reason here, but they are not all the things that are going to remain or be written down in heaven. And then he, uh, 
He talks about when you give for credit, it's not written down in heaven. You may get a reward here, but it's not written down in heaven. He wants you to have a giving heart. Um, uh, oh, there's so much here. I, I don't really have time, but it says God lives where people are hurting. It is when we get down on the level of human need and take a person into our hearts and actually meet their need that something is written down in our book in heaven. Um, there's just there's so much I don't really have time to read all of it. I just want to seed you with it, and we'll have to pick this up later. But uh, let me just say this. When you have lovingly prepared a meal for someone who's been sick and have brightened their day by caring, something is being written down in that book. I just wanted to give you just a few excerpts to let you see what really pleases God. It's the little things. In fact, he says that it's not just necessarily witnessing. It's when you do something for someone. See, this is the, Jesus said, learn of me and watch how I do it. Well, let's watch how Jesus did it. What did he do? He went into the hurting people. People that were hurting, they were sick. There was, and he met their needs. That's the way Jesus did it. When you do something, it may be small. Nobody ever knows about it. That it is written down in heaven, in your book. And this is what's going to happen when you come to the judgment seat of Christ. If you've been deceived into believing that on that glorious day of judgment, a lot of condemnation is going to be brought against you, I have good news for you. It's not going to happen that way. It's going to be a beautiful day when, instead of judgmental condemnation, God says thanks. There's not going to be a person present at this believer's judgment who will hear one harsh word of condemnation because Jesus has paid our penalty through his death. Every person is going to hear those words. Thank you. Thank you. You, have, you did a good job. Some is going to have more written about in heaven than others, but the only thing that God is going to talk about at the judgment seat of Christ is those things that you did out of a heart of love. Not just to be seen of man. That's why it touches my heart so much every time I think of standing before God. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because wanting to please God is my goal in life, and I know it's yours too. It's our goal. Not so we can get a reward because we have a heart of love. And if we don't have a heart of love yet, then we just need to hook into the vine. And God will show you hurting people. I mean, there's just little things. When uh, the last six months... I have had so many people reach out to me 
and just give me a word here, uh, uh, just a note, say, you know, telling me that they're praying for me, that just little things that they, they just felt prompted probably by the Holy Spirit. They didn't know how much it would mean to me. But there was some healing that took place in my heart. Every time I felt the love of God come from somebody to me, and so I just purposed. I said, Lord, I never knew how much people hurt when they lose somebody close to them. Help me to know how to reach out to somebody and help them whenever uh, something is hurting them or they lose somebody. That I won't be callous and just think of me. But I will, my life will be poured out for someone else. That's what pleases God. Just letting him flow through us. And so I want to close uh, tonight with, um, can you get that um, Isaiah 58 scripture uh, in the um, Living Bible? No, this is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongfully imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. In other, I, Stay there just a second. I just want to point out that uh, you are also going to be rewarded on how you treat your family. Who you are to them. Uh, God notices those things. Okay, uh, now you can go on. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will heal, heal quickly heal, and your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. You will say, yes, I am here, and he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually. Giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. And you will be like a well-watered garden. Like an ever-flowing spring. Is that the end of it? Okay. There are benefits. God's heart, his heart is beating for the hurting people. And let me tell you, the world is full of them. Hurting. What can we do? So I want to challenge you tonight. This is one of the unforced rhythms of grace. To just do and be what God brings you to. You can't save the whole world. You can't fix the whole world. You can just do what God shows you to do. And there's times that God will whisper in your ear and say, you know that $20 that you have in your purse? That person needs it. And you can slip it to them. I mean, be sensitive. There are hurting people and they're needy people. And you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. And the neat part about it is there will be a day 
that you will stand before Jesus and he will say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I, I'm, I'm, you can stand and I'm going to end with this, but, um, you know, I had gotten overburdened. Uh, I looked outside of my house and I saw my yard. And my yard, oh my goodness, I have a big yard. There was old leaves from 10 years ago, I think, that were still stacked up in places. There was junk piled everywhere. And I, I don't like junk. And I like neat. And I looked out, and I, there was grass growing in my flower bed. And I found, I found myself being a Martha. And I just thought, Lord, don't you care? I can't do all of this. I just feel so overwhelmed. <laughs> and most of you, if you have Facebook, you know what happened this week. But here come all of these youth. On Monday, they descended on my yard, and in an hour and a half, they had it immaculate. They uncovered things I didn't know were out there. I mean, it was awesome. And I thought, Lord, I, I think I'm learning what the unforced rhythms of grace is. That I just say, okay, Lord, and I have done this. You said that you would be a husband to the widow. Okay. You are my husband now. You need to get this done. And um, I have watched God work in beautiful ways. So every one of those young people that did all of that work, they did it from the heart. They're already storing up treasures in heaven. It's been written down in their book. So there's, there's things that you can... You can do. Beverly came over to my house. She worked for two or three evenings on my sprinkler system. This woman here. She put new sprinklers in. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. I mean, I could curse them, but I can't do anything else. They weren't working right. But those kind of things that you just see a need... And you just reach out to people. They do not go unnoticed by God. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.